Thanks for tuning in to the What's the Wi-Fi Password, a podcast for our Jesus Famous Youth Ministry. Today, we have a message from our 2022 middle school summer camp about trusting in the Lord. Enjoy. Good evening. Good evening. Good evening. Come on back. Come on back. What a day, your first full day at camp, uh, running around, being taught the word, not just who am I, but whose am I, and this morning, the topic of identity and learning about who you are, that you've been bought with a price, Uh, you've been chosen in Ephesians 1, you've been forgiven, you've been adopted, and all that God has uh, claimed you to be. And uh, what, what an amazing opportunity for us to be instructed and to be reminded. You know, C.S. Lewis uh, often used to tell people that Christians more often need to be reminded than they do instructed. And I think these camps not only instruct you, but they also remind you. And uh, so I, I want to uh, take a, a route that I took last night on you uh, trusting in the Lord uh, as you receive the love of the Lord rather than the love of another person. Uh, Today I want to talk to you about uh, trusting in the Lord, not just uh, for a person, but trusting in the Lord in the midst of your pain. I don't know if any of you have faced struggles and difficulties in your life. I don't know if any of you have faced trials and hardships, um, but I just want to talk to you about trusting in the Lord in the midst of your own pain. Uh, Someone once said that there is a broken heart In every pew, we could say that in this, every seat uh, today. And I'm going to try to be short today because I know that your your head can only handle as much as your rear can take. All right? All right? Your head can only handle as much as your butt can take as you sit there. So, if you have your Bible, John chapter 5. John chapter 5, if you have your Bible, I got crushed in wiffle ball today. Uh, by my guys, um, but we were champions on the basketball court, uh, Russell and I. Uh, if any of you want to challenge us on the basketball court, we're ready to two on two. Uh, we're ready to go, all right? I, I wanted to uh, introduce you to my adopted daughter. Um, you met all of my other kids uh, except her. We couldn't get this email to go through, but this is uh, Chena. She's now 18 years old. And uh, Chena lived in our house for seven years. Uh, Chena was taken out of our house uh, after those seven years uh, because of race, um, because we were white and she was Navajo Indian. And, um, and it's been a very painful process, but also a very healing process of watching God work and God restore. Uh, but I wanted to uh, make sure I honored my daughter and uh, you met her. I have eight kids of my own. Uh, for those of you that don't know of my story, I met my wife when I was 10, and she was uh, eight years old. We've been married now for 25 years. I grew up in the beautiful uh, city. I grew up in the beautiful city of San Bernardino, California, and uh, it, was a, it was a joy to live in San Bernardino. I moved uh, from San Bernardino to Europe. 
uh, then moved back from Europe to probably one of the greatest places ever in the world, uh, Victorville, California, and uh, moved there and did high school ministry for 20 years. I have, again, eight children ranging from the ages of 22 all the way down to seven years old. And uh, last night and this morning, just to hang out with you guys was such a joy. And I pray that God's spirit would fall upon this place in just a fresh way in what God wants to do. Because some of you, you've come and your heart is a little bit broken about what you've been facing in the Lord. And you're going to have to trust the Lord in the midst of your pain. And uh, so, if you would, in John chapter 5, I'd just like to read this to you, uh, if I can, this story in John chapter 5, uh, beginning in verse 1. The Bible says, after this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And now there was in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a multitude, a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, and paralyzed. Notice what they're doing. They're waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. And then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been in that condition a long time. Can you say long time? Jesus said to him, after seeing him in this condition and lying there for a long time, he said, do you want to be made well? And the sick man answered him, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I'm coming, another steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well. He took up his bed and he walked. And that day was the Sabbath. The Jews therefore said to him, who was cured, it is the Sabbath. It's not lawful for you to carry your bed. And he answered them, he who made me well said to me, take up your bed and walk. And they asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? But the one who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn a multitude being in that place, and afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you've been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. The man departed, and he told the Jews that it was Jesus who made him well. Father, we pray that today that our eyes would be awestruck by the beauty of Jesus. That our heart would be aligned with the will of Jesus. That our ears would be attentive to the voice of Jesus. Capture our thoughts. Captivate our hearts. Pour out your spirit upon us, Lord. You said that you've come to set the captives free. You said that you've come to bind up the brokenhearted. And I pray that in the midst of this place that you would do just that, Jesus. That you would move by the power of your spirit amongst the crowd and touch and bind up the brokenhearted tonight. And I ask that you would do this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. 
I wonder what you've been waiting for. I had an opportunity uh, with my son, who is now 17 years old, but when he was eight years old, I told Evan, I said, we, Mom and I have planned something very special for you. We're taking you to the magical kingdom, not just you, but our whole family for your birthday. And he was so excited. He couldn't believe that we would now buy a hotel, rent a hotel room, and in that hotel room the next day, we'd be all heading to Disneyland together. It was his dream. And he looked at me and he said, Daddy, he, he said, when are we leaving? I said, son, we're leaving in one month. We're leaving in one month. And his eight-year-old little mind tried to calculate one month. And he said, Daddy, is that in two days? I said, no, son, that's actually 30 days. And he looked up at me, and his eyes got a little bit bigger, and his mouth got a little bit wider, and his message was a little bit louder. He said, Daddy, he said, that's too long. That's too long. That's too long. I don't know if you've ever found yourself there facing something that just seemed a little bit too long. And what God was telling you today in the midst of all that you were waiting for was you can still wait. Maybe you've had expectations and your experience has not met that expectation. And because you've not met that expectation, now you have frustration in your heart. And because you have frustration, you keep it inside, and there's no communication about what you've been facing. I don't know about you, but, but I have often found myself in the places of life when it's been very painful that I've asked God to put me in the microwave, but God puts me in the crock pot. It seems like God wants to take a little bit longer in molding and shaping my life into the image of Jesus. Listen, if you're going to trust in the Lord, you will face the pain of this world. But the pain is producing a pressure and the pressure is molding you into the image of Jesus. It's what God often does. But there's many of us, we find ourselves unwilling to wait in the midst of pain. We want to relieve ourselves from the pain. We want to get rid of the pain. Maybe for you it's your parents' divorce. That you didn't know that it was coming. Maybe for you it is the, the school that you had to move from and the pain of now finding new friends. Maybe for you it's depression. Maybe for you it's anxiety. Maybe for you it's been suicidal thoughts. Maybe for you the pain on the inside as one girl once told me has been covered up by creating pain on the outside of your body by hurting yourself. Maybe you find yourself in a place that's just too painful. I want you to know as you've come in tonight that you can trust in the Lord even in the midst of your pain. My mom in 2018 collapsed to the ground. And I didn't think I would lose my mom this quickly, but within seven days, I watched my mom, who I love dearly, who's an amazing woman. I watched her body deteriorate. And where the night that we were actually thinking that my mom was getting better, she was actually getting worse. And she had another severe heart attack the early that morning. And I got a call from my father, a call that I wish I would have never received, but I did. And he said, you need to come quickly because mom's dying. And we were all huddled up as family in the ICU room. And as we were huddled up in that room, 
There was no celebration. I knew my mom was going to heaven. I knew that she was going to be with Jesus. But there was so much sobbing and there was so much sadness as they would now take my mom off life support. And I would watch my mom's chest go up and down just a few more times. And I laid my head on my mom's chest because I wanted to hear her heartbeat just one more time. And that was a moment that I just thought, this is just too painful. You could have the confidence of heaven and still face the pain of this world and have to weep just a little bit. And it's in those moments that you and I are facing right now that I want to submit to you that you could trust in the Lord in the midst of what you're facing today. For some of you, it's not that you've lost your mom, but the heartbreak of what you're facing right now, you've covered up with laughter and, and, and giggles, but really what you really want to do is just sob a little bit. And so many times we think that it's unchristian to be sad. Listen, why can we as Christians experience the height of joys, but we can't experience the low of sadness in the midst of Jesus? The Bible says you can have all of it and be fully human and still meet his divinity in the midst of what you're facing. And I want to submit some things to you today of how you can trust in the Lord in the midst of most painful circumstances that you are facing. The story for us takes place in John chapter 5. But we know that our memory verse is in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5, where the Bible tells us to trust in the Lord with all of our heart and lean not on our own understanding. In all of our ways, we're going to acknowledge him and he will make our path straight. In John chapter 5, Jesus is, is heading, uh, the Bible says, after there was a feast of the Jews. And the Bible tells us exactly the place that Jesus is heading towards. The Bible says that Jesus went up to Jerusalem. If you would in your Bible, circle the word Jerusalem. If you take note of this, I just want you to notice the place of our story. The, the word Jerusalem means the city of peace. And by the city of peace, there was a sheep gate, a pool, which in Hebrew is called Bethesda. The word Bethesda means the house of grace. So Jesus is in the city of peace, and he's at the house of grace. But I want you to notice the people in our story. Notice, if you would, the Bible tells us, in these, in verse 3, lay a great multitude. This is a huge crowd. This is about 400 people at Woodleaf, where there's maybe not enough beds to sleep in, where, where it's all crowded together, and everyone's shoulder to shoulder. And this is a crowded place. By this pool, notice this, there were, notice, sick people, blind people, lame people, paralyzed people, and, and notice this, these were people who wanted peace. So I'm in the city of peace, and now I'm surrounded by all of these people who want peace. And the Bible says that they were waiting for the moving of the water. For when the angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water, whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man, the Bible says, who had been there with an infirmity for 38 years. So we're at the city of peace for people who are longing for peace. And in walks Jesus, the Prince of Peace. 
And Jesus comes into the situation and he brings to this man something that the pool could never bring. And that is complete wholeness. Not just physical wholeness, but also spiritual wholeness. This man had been there for 38 years. Can you say 38 years? That's a long time. That's a long time. This man had been here for a long time in this place. And here in this place, this man comes to a spot in his life where he meets Jesus. He just doesn't meet a pool of water. He meets the person who will give him living water, and that is the person of Jesus Christ. And now he's at the spot where he's going to have to make a decision. Just like everybody Every single one of us has to make a decision as we're coming to the person of Jesus Christ. Just like that one woman wrote, she said these words. She said, Lord, I have come to you in the barren desert seeking refreshment with only a cup. She said, Lord, if I would have known you a little bit better, I would have come running with a bucket. You see, that's what God wants to bring to your life. So if you're in the midst of pain right now, a lot like these people who couldn't see out of their problems, they couldn't step out of their problem, they couldn't move out of their problem, what do I do in the midst of that as a middle schooler, as a leader, when I think that it's just too long? Number one thing, if you would just write this down, take note, write it down, you'll remember 70% more at camp if you just write some things down. Notice this, number one, I want you to put your confidence in Jesus, number one. I want you to put your confidence in Jesus. If you're going to trust in the Lord in the midst of pain, I want you to put your confidence in Jesus. Notice what happens with this man. Jesus comes to this man, verse 5 through 8, and notice what happens. The Bible tells us that as the angel went down and stirred up the water, whoever stepped in first was made well. But when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been in that condition a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool where the water is stirred up. But while I'm coming, another steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, rise, take up your bed and walk. This man thought the answer was in the pool, but Jesus is showing him the answer is in a person. Trust in the Lord. With all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. No, notice Jesus, or this term, if you would, made well, is used in verse 4. If you take note, verse 6, verse 9, verse 11, verse 14, and verse 15. This term, to be made well, means to be made whole, both body and spirit. And Jesus brings this to this man. Notice he brings, as he comes to him, a question to this man. And he says, do you want to be made well? Do you want to be made well? Now, you would be thinking that this guy, as he's looking at Jesus, would say yes. But notice this guy comes up with all types of excuses of why he can't be made well. This man comes to Jesus, or Jesus comes to this man, and, and he gives the first excuse. Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water stirred up. The first excuse, no one's putting me in. The second excuse was this, notice this, but while I'm coming, another steps down before me. He had two excuses. 
I wonder what your excuse is of why you won't trust in the Lord in the midst of your pain. I think all of us have them. All of us have come up with all types of excuses of why we're not doing what God's told us to do in the midst of what we're facing right now. Listen to some of these Bible excuses. Moses stuttered. David's armor didn't fit. John Mark was undependable. Hosea married a prostitute. Amos only had experience as a fig tree pruner. Jacob was a liar. David had an affair. Solomon had too much money. Abraham was too old. Timothy had ulcers. Joseph was a nuisance. Paul was ugly. I don't know where they got that. Peter was a coward. John was self-righteous. Jesus himself was homeless. Naomi was a widow. Jonah was disobedient. Miriam was a gossip. Gideon and Thomas were doubters. Jeremiah was suicidal. Elijah suffered from depression. Paul was a murderer. So was Moses, not to mention David. John the Baptist dressed funny. Martha was a worrywart. Samson needed a haircut. Noah had a drinking problem. Moses had a short fuse. Zacchaeus was too short. And Lazarus was dead. I don't know what your excuse might be of why in the midst of what you're facing right now that you won't put your confidence in him. You won't trust in the Lord with all of your heart. What oftentimes happens is we come oftentimes into Christianity with a belief that is bold and a faith that is firm. Our salvation is sure, but the moment that pain and trial hits us, we often have a mind that's filled with anxiety and a soul that's clouded by uncertainty. And we find that in the midst of these moments, what oftentimes happens is the pain is only peeling back the real position of every single one of our hearts. And so Jesus is bringing this man in the midst of his pain to say, come and put your confidence in me. Put your confidence in me. Come if you would, and would you please just come and put your trust and your confidence in me. One author writes these words in regards to this man. He had been in that condition for so long that his will was just as paralyzed as his body. And some of you right now, you've been facing a pain for so long that your will is just as paralyzed as your body. And some of you, you've been let down by so many people that now you begin to see God in the filter of the people who let you down. And so you no longer put your confidence in him. I don't know if you've ever asked someone to do something and you thought that they would, but they really didn't follow through. I don't know if you've ever put your trust in someone and you said, could you keep this secret? Or would you meet me at this specific time? And that specific friend is like always 30 to 45 minutes late. They really just don't keep your, their word. I just want to tell you right now that God keeps his word. God keeps his word. I, I tried this with my kids. I, I, I put my confidence in my kids. It, having eight kids, you, you, you buy a souped up minivan. I, I, and that's what we did. We bought a Honda Odyssey minivan. And you, you still, thank you. you, you still want to, in the midst of that, be cool in a minivan. And so I'm picking my kids up from VBS. I don't know if you guys are familiar with VBS. And so I, I'm, I'm playing this song in the car. 
I, this is the song that I'm playing. I, I'm playing this song. What can wash away? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Come on. That makes me white as snow. No, go back, go back. We don't do it that way. Snow. No. There you go. And so I was playing that song in the car. It didn't sound that good like you guys do right now, but I was playing this song, and, and all of my kids were just really embarrassed. And so I switched the song from uh, this old worship song, this old hymn, into a, a rap song for my kids. We rolled down the windows in the Honda Odyssey minivan, and we just began to play Lecrae, all right? We, we just began to play uh, some hip-hop, and, and we, we thought we were really cool. Now, now this was a time uh, that, that Redbox was really popular, all right? And so I pulled up to a Shell station, and, and as I got to the Shell station, I, I looked at my kids because there was a car uh, a little bit away from us, maybe two uh, cars parked a little bit away, and, and these guys looked a little bit rough. All right. The, some of the guys were smoking in the car. Some of the guys, they had just some gnarly tattoos. I'm not against tattoos, but um, these were not appropriate tattoos uh, for me or my little kids to uh, see. And so I looked at my kids. I said, hey, dad's going to run to the, run, the, the red box, which is just right here. I'm going to put my confidence in you. I'm going to leave the windows down. Don't say a word about the car that is just right here. Well, I put my confidence in my kids. When I'm picking out the Redbox movie, all I hear is, Dad! Dad! My son's head sticking out of the car window. That guy's smoking a cigarette! Dad! Do you think he's going to hell? I said, no, son, no, no, he just might smell like it. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, I said, please get in the car, put your head back in the car. My other son stuck his head out. And the guy, he's all, Dad, do you see that guy's tattoo? Dad, it's a naked woman. I could feel the, the, the piercing heat of these guys' eyes on my kids. I grew up in San Bernardino. So I looked at the guys. I was like, you got a problem? No, I'm just kidding. I didn't do that. <laughs> I went right back to the minivan. Grab, I grabbed the movie, went right back to the minivan, rolled up the windows. And I said, don't you ever do that again. And Carter, Carter, he's like my apostle of love. He's the most loving person in our family. He's all, Dad, th this guy might be smoking, and he might have some harsh tattoos or hard tattoos, Dad, but 
But I just want to tell you what I learned at VBS today. He said, Dad, people like this just need Jesus. That, that, that's not the normal response. I said, why didn't you yell that out the window? Why did Evan and Caden have to yell all these things out and maybe start a fight? I put my confidence in these guys. Have you ever put your confidence in your parents and they didn't come through? I'll talk about this tomorrow night. But I put my confidence in my dad. I put my confidence in my dad. And he didn't show up because alcohol was more important to my dad than his family. You ever put your confidence in your mom and something happens in your family that just rips your family apart? You ever put your confidence in, in an uncle or an aunt or a teacher or in a, a youth leader or you might find yourself putting your confidence in a friend? And what happens is this, is you find that out in your life that what you thought you could put your confidence in has just been shattered before you. And you're finding it hard to even put now your confidence back into Jesus. It's as if God made this happen rather than he allowed this to happen. And you find that oftentimes in your life, what can happen in your life is you can find that these situations that you go through can break down the confidence because they never kept their word, but they still claim Jesus Christ. So if they claim Jesus Christ, why do I think that Jesus is going to keep his word if the people that I'm looking at won't even keep their word? And this is honest. This is real. This is painful. This is hard. That your parents aren't Jesus. That the youth leader's not Jesus. That I'm not Jesus. That, that your friends aren't Jesus. There's only one Jesus. And what he said is true. And what he says, he always fulfills. And you might have come into this place thinking, well, how can I, in the midst of what I'm going through right now, put my confidence in Jesus? Because you can look at the length of your trial, you can look at all the people that are surrounding you in the midst of your trial, and you can listen more to their bitterness than to the unfiltered, inspired word of God. And I want to bring you back to a spot where you can see that you can trust in Jesus. That you can put your confidence in the one who separated the sea for Moses. That you can put your confidence in the one who brought Joseph back to his family. That you can put your confidence in the one who tore down the walls of Jericho for Joshua. That you can put your confidence in the one who loved, notice this, and protected Daniel from the lion's den. I, I want you to know that, that you can put your confidence in the one who consumed the altar for Elijah. Who provided a husband for Ruth. Who you can put your confidence in the one who gave sight to the blind, caused the deaf to hear, and the lame to walk again. You can put your confidence in the one who conquered death to give you life. Would you write this down? Would you write this down somewhere as a junior hire, as a middle schooler, as a leader? Jesus never promised smooth sailing, but he did promise a safe passage for you. Jesus never promised smooth sailing, but he did promise a safe passage. 
And notice this, if you take note, if I'm talking too fast, I'll go back. It is better to be in a storm with Jesus than anywhere else without him. It's better to be in a storm with Jesus than anywhere else without him. Put your confidence in the Lord. Notice the second thing I want to encourage you to do tonight, and that is this, as you're trusting in the Lord, I not only want you to put your confidence in Jesus, I want you to carry out the words of Jesus. Listen to what Jesus says in verse 8 of our story. Jesus said to him, rise, take up your bed, and walk. No, 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 now get this. This man had been here for 38 years. 38 years. Not able to move. Laying down for 38 years. He's laying down on a mat. And Jesus tells him these words. Rise, take up your bed, and I want you to walk. I just, I, I want you to rise and walk. This man, I don't know what was going through. Can you imagine sitting in a spot where you've been paralyzed? For 38 years, and all of a sudden, this man comes up to you and just says, rise, take up your bed, and walk. Listen, the way that Jesus said this was a command. It wasn't a suggestion. When Jesus said to this man, I want you to rise and take up your bed and walk, Jesus wasn't suggesting that this man would rise and take up his bed and walk. He's actually commanding him. He's actually commanding him at a spot where... He's calling him to a specific action. Now, you might say that this is impossible, but what made this possible was this man's obedience. What made the miracle possible was the obedience that this man would have as he carried out the word of Jesus. Notice he says, rise. Literally, I want you to stand up. Then he tells him to take up his bed, and then he says, I want you to walk. And notice what happened. Immediately, the man was made well. He was literally whole, and he took up his bed, and he walked. Notice what oftentimes happens in the midst of pain is this, is we put a question mark where God has placed a period in our lives. And when there's pain oftentimes, and God tells us to do a specific thing, we often put a question mark where God has actually placed a period. Do you know where God says to every single one of us? Notice, if God said it, he meant it, we believe it, and we obey it. The miracle happened when the command was obeyed. God demands our obedience. God doesn't bless your intention. He blesses your action today. Notice he told this to Samuel, 1 Samuel 15, verse 22. So Samuel said, Has the Lord his great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. It's what the Lord spoke to the nation of Israel in Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 23. But this is what I command them, saying, Obey my voice, and I will be your God, and you will be my people, and you will walk in all the way that I command you, that it may be well with you. It's what James said in James chapter 1, verse 23. 22, he said, but prove yourselves to be doers of the word and not hearers only. Because too often we find ourselves following our own way instead of carrying out his word simply because it's hard. 
And here's what I want to ask you to do as your guest here in Northern California. Oftentimes, holy things could be the hard things that you're going to have to do. And I want to challenge you to do those hard things in obeying what God has in store for you. Not lastly, as we wrap this up, not only do I want you to put your confidence in Jesus, not only do I want you to carry out the words of Jesus, but, but I want you to communicate about Jesus. In the midst of what you're going through, I want you to communicate about Jesus. Notice the, the sick man, the Bible says that that day was the Sabbath and that, that Jesus shouldn't have healed him according to the religious rulers on the Sabbath. It's not lawful for you to carry your bed. And he answered them, notice this, he who made me well said to me, take up your bed and walk. And they asked him, who's the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? But the one who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn a multitude being in that place. And afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you've been made well. Sin no more, lest the worst thing come upon you. And the man departed, and he told the Jews that it was who? It was Jesus. It was Jesus who made me well. So here's this man. This man is now walking in areas where people had never seen him walking before. And as this man is walking now around Jerusalem in Bethesda, I I'm sure that he must have ran into some middle school friends. I mean, he went to Bethesda Middle School. And they must have known him. They must have seen him. And all of a sudden, all his middle school friends are like, what happened to you? What happened to you? Why are you walking? We know who you used to be. And all he could do was look at them and say, Jesus. I mean, this guy went into Trader Joe's in Jerusalem. And all the Trader Joe's employees would always see him as they walked by the, 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 the pool. But now they see him actually shopping at Trader Joe's. And all of a sudden he's in Trader Joe's and he's shopping and he's pushing his cart. His mat's probably in his cart. And he's getting this Whole Foods, you know, organic. It's important that you eat well, right? Right, leaders? It's important that you eat well. And so all of a sudden he's pushing this cart. And the workers at Trader Joe's are like, what happened to you? And all he could say is, Jesus. Jesus. Oh, he goes back to Jerusalem High School. And he's at his class reunion. He hadn't been there in a while, but they, they knew who he was. They knew how he talked. They knew, they, they, they knew how he lived. And all of a sudden, he's a totally different person. And everyone at the high school reunion is looking at him going, what, what happened to you? And all he could say is, Jesus. Did you know you're, you're about to go back to uh, your, your uh, city, your neighborhood, your home, your church. And you're, you're about to go back as a changed person into your home. And your mom or your dad, your grandma, grandpa, your uncle or aunt, whoever is taking care of you, is going to look at you. And you're going to get home and you're just going to begin to sweep the floor. I mean, you never swept the floor before. All right. Okay. Come here for a minute. I only have nine minutes. Some of you never swept the floor before, okay? 
And all of a sudden you're sweeping the floor and your mom's like, what, what, your dad's like, what happened to you? And all you need to say is, Jesus. You go to your, uh, your sibling's room and it's early in the morning and you wake up after camp and you realize that their, their, their bed is not made and so you make the bed for them. And, and, and they're wondering... They're, they're, they're wondering uh, what, 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 what actually happened to you. Your siblings are looking at you wondering what happened to you. And, and all you could say is, it's Jesus. You go back to your middle school as some of you enter into high school. You go back to your youth group and you're stacking chairs and you're lining up chairs. You're helping out in youth group more. You're, you're using your gift. You're singing. You're preaching. You're evangelizing. And your youth leader's like, what happened to you? And you're just like, I met Jesus at camp. You're, 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 you're back at school and your teachers are looking at you and they knew you before. And now you're, all you could say is Jesus. Do you know the greatest thing you could do in the darkness of your life is proclaim the person of Jesus. The greatest thing you could do. I, I went on a missions trip to Mexico as a youth pastor. We would take teams into Mexico, and I thought if, if I could just make a difference in this world, let, let's start uh, in not only in my neighborhood, but by the nearest country to me. And so we were building houses, we were sharing Jesus, and I got severely sick in Mexico. I got severely sick. I thought I ate a bad taco that had some bad meat in it, um, but I actually got bit by a bug that I didn't realize uh, had bit me. I get home, and I am now bedridden, and as I'm bedridden, I have to stay home from the church that I love to serve at and with the youth that I love to serve, and I was told for almost a full year that I had depression and anxiety and suicidal thoughts. So what happened in my life was this. That wasn't the root cause of all my depression and anxiety. What the root cause was is I had Lyme's disease and no doctor would really look for it. And that whole year, that whole year, I was an avid runner. I loved to go outside and throw the ball around with my kids. I could no longer do that in my life. It was one of the most painful crushing times that God began to do a, a deeper work in my heart. It was almost a year where a doctor would fly down from Palo Alto, California into Malibu and he asked to see my fingernails and I get these blood splinters because I feel like my hands have been shut in a door. I live in constant pain every single day, probably like some of you today. And the doctor looked at my hand and he said, you have these splinters. This is normally from a parasite infection. I'd like to test you for Lyme's disease and a parasite infection called Babesia. And I had both of them. I did five years of antibiotics. And it finally came to a spot where the doctor told me that this is something you're going to live with for the rest of your life. I don't want to hear that. I don't want to live with this for the rest of my life. He said, you will die one day of kidney failure or heart failure because of this. And I've asked the Lord over and over again if he would, by his grace, allow me to die in such a way where we are fighting for something greater than myself, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
if you're facing pain right now in a situation that you don't understand, what I want you to know is that you can still stand. If you're facing pain on a chronic level, it might not be physical pain, it might be emotional pain that you're going through, and we're going to hit on that a little bit tomorrow. What I want you to know is you can make it. But here's what I want to challenge you to do. I want to challenge you to keep communicating about Jesus. I don't want you to give up. I don't want you just to stop. And here's why. Because Jesus didn't stop when he died for us. I'd like to read you what Jesus went through in his own pain. You can shut your Bible and your notebook, but I'm going to ask in these last four minutes for your undivided listening attention. I just want you just to be still, and if you can, just give me your focus for the next four minutes. Listen to what Jesus went through for us. What is crucifixion? A medical doctor provides a physical description. The cross is placed on the ground, and the exhausted man is quickly thrown backwards with his shoulders against the wood. The legionnaire feels for the depression of Jesus' hands at the front of his wrist. He drives a heavy, square, wrought iron nail through his wrist and deep into the wood. Quickly, he moves to the other side, and he repeats this action on Jesus. Being careful not to pull the arms too tightly, but to allow some flex and movement. The cross is then lifted into place. The left foot is pressed backward against the right foot of Jesus, and with both feet extended, toes pointing down, a nail is driven through the arc of each, leaving his knees flexed. Jesus is now crucified. As the, as the, as, excuse me, he slowly sags down with more weight on the nails in the wrist, excruciating, fiery pain shoots along the fingers and up into the arms to explode in the brain. The nails in the wrist of Jesus are putting pressure on the median nerves. As Jesus pushes himself upward to avoid this stretching torment, he places the full weight on the nail through his feet. Again, Jesus feels the searing agony of the nail tearing through the nerves between the bones of his feet. Listen to this, if you would, please. As the arms fatigue, cramps sweep through the muscles of Jesus, knotting them in deep, relentless, throbbing pain. With these cramps comes the inability for Jesus to push himself upward to breathe. Air can be drawn into the lungs, but not exhaled. He fights, Jesus does, to raise himself in order to get one small breath. Finally, carbon dioxide builds up in the lungs and the bloodstream. 
and the cramps partially subside. Spasmatically, Jesus is able to push himself upward to exhale and bring in life-giving oxygen. Listen to this. Hours of this limitless pain. Cycles of Jesus twisting, joint-rending cramps. Intermittent partial asphyxiation. Searing pain as tissue is torn from his lacerated back of Jesus. As he moves up and down against the rough wooden timber. And remember at this point that Jesus' back is so badly whipped and flogged that he has severe wounds of an open back. And he pushes himself up and down against the cross. As Jesus is in this spot, there's another agony that begins a deep crushing pain. Deep in the chest, as the pericardium slowly fills with serum and begins to compress the heart, it is now almost over and the loss of tissue fluids has reached a critical level. The compressed heart is struggling to pump heavy, thick, sluggish blood into the tissues and the tortured lungs are making a frantic effort to gasp a small gulps of air into it. He can feel the chill of death creeping through his tissues. Finally, he can allow his body to die. The physical pain that Jesus experienced was nothing in comparison to the spiritual agony of your sin and my sin that would separate him from his father. And here's what I want to submit to you tonight. That Jesus did not stop in the garden of Gethsemane. That Jesus did not stop when he was betrayed by Judas. That Jesus did not stop when the guards would bind him. When he was taken to an illegal trial and they would lie about him. Jesus did not stop when they would put a bag over his head and they would strike his face saying, prophesy who hit you. Jesus would not stop when they would tie his hands to the post and they would take a whip that was full of rocks and sheep bones and whip his back and rip the flesh off of his body. Jesus would not stop when they would nail him to the cross, his wrist and his feet. Jesus would not stop when your sin and my sin was placed upon him. Jesus would not stop in death. They put him in a grave that was borrowed, and it was borrowed for a reason, because Jesus would not stop. Three days later, the stone was rolled away. The stone was not rolled away for, the, for Jesus to get out. The stone was rolled away to see that Jesus was still alive. And here's what I want to tell you tonight as I close, that Jesus went all the way, and he's promised to take you with him all the way. And so in the midst of what you're facing today, I want to submit to you that you can trust in the Lord in your deepest, darkest, most painful, hard moment and know that he has not left you nor has he ever forsaken you. It might feel like it. You might sense that, but he is still there. Can I pray for us tonight? Lord, we want to ask and pray that tonight we would trust in you in the midst of our trial. 
You told us that steadfast love and faithfulness in Proverbs would not forsake us. Lord, we pray that we would be faithful. And I, I just want to pray specifically right now for, for young men and women and even leaders that are going through difficult situations in their life, Lord, that there would be no fear, Lord, that if they have fear, it would be processed in the way of your word and promises coming in, God. I, I just want to pray, Lord, for anyone right now that is facing a health crisis in their life, whether they're young or older right now, God, I want to pray for your touch of healing and your power upon them, Lord. I, I just want to ask that you would restore. I want to pray for the young men and women in here where they have faced the painful reality of divorce. I want to pray for young men and women in here today that have faced the, the painful reality of betrayal. I want to pray for young people in this place, Lord, that depression has filled them. Suicidal thoughts have come in in a way that they never thought, Lord. They never thought that this would happen to them. They, they were the joyful person. But Lord, it, it is there. And I, I just want to ask by your power that you would remove and heal and restore tonight. And if that's you, can you just stand up right where you're at? Your, your eyes could all be closed. Your heads could stay bowed. But if that's you, can you just stand up right now? You just need God to touch you. You're going through pain that you're just right now, you need, you need the supernatural strength of God's power and his Holy Spirit. You're facing a situation in your home that, that camp is so good, but you know that when you go home, it might be so bad for you. You know what you're facing right now, and it's been a long time for some of you. Some of you, what you're facing has been caused by some of your own decisions that you've made. And God has told you tonight that I want to restore that in your life. If that's you, just stand up. God wants to restore you. God wants to work in you. God wants to move by the power of his spirit. Father, I pray as these are standing now that your supernatural touch would be upon their lives, upon their bodies, upon their mind, God, upon their well-being spiritually, emotionally, and physically, Lord. I want to pray, Lord, that what they have faced would lead them to face you in the midst of it. And God, we just want to ask that tonight that you would produce in us such a robust, fierce faith that difficulties might come, but Lord, they were not going to sway. They're not going to sway us who are anchored in Jesus. Lord, we know that tonight, these young men and women, I just want you to know tonight that you're not alone. As you stand, there are many people standing around you. You're not alone. You might feel like you're alone. You might think you're the only one battling this type of disease or illness. You might think that you're the only one that has ever gone through this. You might think that you're the only one that's ever attempted that. You might think that you're the only one who was caught in that, but you're not alone. You're not alone. God, God, there's so many people around you that, that you need to know beyond a shadow of a doubt. There are people in your corner, and not only people will fight for you, but the Bible says that God fights for you. God fights for you. And so I just want to ask you as a middle school uh, leader, or as a high school student, or as an adult, or even just a middle, uh, middle school student right now, can I just ask you not to give up?
You're going to see so much good. Don't give up. You're going to experience so much love. Don't give up. You're going to experience so much forgiveness. Don't give up. You're going to see the hand of God like you never saw the hand of God. Don't give up. It might feel like death, but life is coming. Don't give up. The fight might seem too hard, but don't give up. You're going to win. In Jesus, there's not a hopeless end. There's an endless hope for you tonight. Don't give up. Spirit, restore. Spirit of the living God, would you fall afresh on us? It's too soon for you to quit. Too soon. Trust in the Lord. I lift my eyes to the mountains. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Behold, he who keeps Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. The sun will not smite you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will guard your going in and your coming out. God, would you touch these areas that we've been hiding? And would you expose the painful reality? of our own pain, but also the powerful reality of your healing in our lives. This is for someone in this place tonight that you will tell a better story. A story of redemption and power. A story of the mighty hand of God. You will tell that story to friends and a generation that will come behind you. So Lord, we ask tonight, as we close with this song, thank you for going ahead of us. And by your stripes, in your wounds, we are made whole. 